Hello and welcome to Read All About It, the podcast where people talk about their favourite and not-so-favourite books. Join me, Paul Cuddihy, as I take each guest on the literary journey of their life, from their most cherished childhood read and a book they'd recommend to anyone, to the book they couldn't be paid to read again, and much more in between. So listen, enjoy, subscribe and spread the word about the Read All About It podcast. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Read All About It podcast and I'm delighted to be joined this time by writer Chris MacDonald. Originally hailing from the north coast of Northern Ireland and now residing in South Manchester, Chris has always been a reader. At primary school, the Hardy Boys inspired his love of adventure, which I think we're going to hear about in the course of this podcast. Before his reading world was opened up by Chuck, Paula Nook and the gritty world of crime, he's a fan of five-a-side football, has an eclectic taste in music ranging from Damien Rice to Slayer and Loves Dogs and he's also just within the last two or three months released his debut novel A Wash of Black published by Red Dog Press and is already garnering some rave reviews and uh, among the things that people have said is if you like Ian Rankin, Val McDermott and Cara Hunter you will love this so Chris thanks for joining us on the Read All About It podcast. Thanks very much for having me. That's esteemed company to be in in terms of crime writing, but you must be pleased. I've seen some of the things on Twitter with some really positive response to your novel. And as, as a writer, for the first time you get your book published, that must be so encouraging for you. Yeah, the whole thing is just, I still can't get my head around it. I think, um, like, obviously that's very complimentary what's on the back. But people like uh, S.J. Watson, who wrote Before I Go to Sleep, like, he put a picture on saying how much he enjoyed it. And it's just, I still feel very much an imposter. <laughs> It's always, I mean, I think for everyone who, you know, if you've got aspirations to write a book, there's always different stages. You get the idea. The first time you finish that manuscript, your first draft, there's a sense of achievement. And then that's just one hill to climb. And then you, you eventually get it to a stage where you can submit it. And, and you've kind of got to that stage now where, it, where it's get published. And I'm guessing it must give you confidence as well in terms of the kind of type of book you, you're maybe wanting to establish a character in that crime genre to get that positive response because then it just encourages you for your next book yeah i think that's it because the books that i like have that character running through them and and i think that's a massive part so for people to take the erica piper like someone who's just completely in my imagination is is a really nice thing so um book two's just been finalized and my publisher said that she's got stronger and 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 things like that so i'm hoping that people will continue the journey along with her but yeah that's been one of the best bits so far people people sort of feeling a camaraderie with her. Do you remember the, that moment when you first had the idea for the either the book or the character? Because obviously, it's, as you say, it starts off as just an idea in your head and it's now in people's hands. But can you remember that? Was there a, a moment where you just thought, this is it? I, I had sort of this idea, not this novel, but I had an idea for a novel in uni. So like 12 years ago, stuff just kept going in the way. So I didn't, and I was like, what's the point in wasting all the hours that it will take to get it done? And then about two years ago, I went to see a panel where uh, Olivia Kiernan was on it. And she's the author of the Frankie Sheehan series. And just hearing her talk, and it was her debut, and, and she totally inspired me. So that night, I'd had this idea, and in the opening chapter in my book, they find a body on an ice rink. And I had this, I think Fargo might have inspired it, all that white snow, but the sort of, um, the white of the ice and the blood seeping out. And I thought that was my initial scene and that's the one that where i thought where could i go from here and i read a lot of crime and i read a lot of police procedural series so i needed to just form this detective and i thought of this sort of strong female character and uh 
Yeah, I don't know where the name came from. I was thinking about this the other day, actually. I don't know why Erica, but it seemed to fit. Because I think from, a, again, just from either seeing the feedback on Twitter especially, I'm guessing as a writer, particularly in that, that field of crime fiction where it's so populated, that if you can get your yourself noticed and you say some pretty big names are, have reacted positively, as a writer, that, that's a good sign. Yeah, I think so. And it's people that, um, I mean, for the first one, and I, I'm still a nobody, but the fact that people like Mike Craven, who's a superstar in the crime community, was willing to like read it and give me a little blurb for it, and obviously there are so many characters that that people love. So to to sort of find a mold and find a little um a little in where people really identify with her was really nice. No doubt we'll talk about more in terms of your writing in the course of this podcast. But basically what I, I like to do is is take you back on the, the kind of literary journey of your life, and we'll go all the way back to childhood. And the first question I always ask is, what is your your favourite book from childhood? It's funny, when I was thinking about this, and I phoned my mum and said, what books did, did I used to like? Because my memory's so bad. And she said the Mr. Men books. And I remember being in hospital for asthma and, and completing the collection, and, and they had the spine of, of, I can't remember what it said now, but it was cool. And then I moved on to the Hardy Boys books, and I really remember there being about five or six in my primary school library. Um, and me and my friend used to just read them, swap them, read them over again until we, we knew them completely. And it was that sort of sense of adventure. And I think <laughs> looking back, because I remember, I don't remember any of the titles or even their names or anything. But looking back, I think a lot of volumes have had to be changed because of uh, like sort of slightly racist connotations. So I'm just wondering <laughs> what, what my primary school were providing me with. But yeah, it was that sort of sense of, you know, they were in a jungle in one book and then they were in the frozen tundra the next. And it's just there were no limits, but it was always so exciting. So that was the first real series that I remember just wanting to read everything I could get my hands on because it's funny I, I again when I was just when I got your choices and I was kind of having a look through and I hadn't realized the Hardy Boys I think were written quite quite a while ago and I think that's why they ended up having to be revised because as you yeah. say because of some of the, the the sensitivities around the language that was used at the time yeah. but they still apparently sell about a million copies a year which is really oh, I might go back and have a little a little gander at them well, either that, or if you if you go back and check if you if you've still got some of the the books from from years ago, they might be worth a couple of pounds. Because I just yeah. I saw it just before we started recording, there was a story of um, somebody who had actually found a, a hardback first edition of the first Harry Potter book in a a skip, and it, it just it's just sold for auction for thirty four thousand pounds. So, <laughs> oh, man, I might have to troll through my attic after this. But I think it's funny that you were saying. I think a lot of people when they were younger, because I remember reading some of the Hardy Boys when I was wee. But I, again, like you, I don't I remember reading them, but they, I don't remember any of the stories or anything. I think it was yeah. just part of, of what you read when you were growing up. Yeah, there was those. And, and the other series I remember loving was the Goosebumps books. And I'm a bit of a wimp. So when I, I mean, for like a 10 year old or whatever I was, they were really like quite frightening, some of the stories. I remember my being in the car and I was so engrossed in this story. And my aunt grabbed my arm. And I think it's the first time I swore. Um, and since then, I anything scary or frightening i really associate with her <laughs> and i love her <laughs> to bits but um yeah she's she, i think i blame her for my wimpiness so she gave you a fright I, I'm, I'm guessing she might be quite traumatized with what you said yeah and i think she knows it because she reminds me of it quite a lot but i suppose that's the, what i've found particularly asking people about their favorite book from childhood and it's that either that book that series at certain points and it's it's almost like something subconsciously clicks into place and at that point from then on, you're a reader. 
yeah i think once once your imagination is captured by something or a specific genre or a character yeah that's you for life in terms of the reading because it's quite interesting what i found as well is the when i take you on to the next choice which is a kind of more teenage student formative years and it's always quite interesting to see where that leap goes so for you it goes from the hardy boys to a book called heavier than heaven by charles r cross yes um i got into music i remember buying the stereophonics album with like pocket money when i was nine and i've always loved music and it's always been a massive part of my life and i think when i was around 12 or 13 i discovered nirvana and heavier than heaven is a biography about kurt cobain and it's the first time i think i read a book where there was i'm pretty sure it was the first time i read a book about a real person so a non-fiction book and a life that was so painful yeah out of that he created music that millions of people over the years have listened to and loved and it was just interesting to hear about his like childhood all through his life what what drove him to be a guitarist and then obviously his untimely uh death which you know affected millions around the world but there's the last sentence in it and it's so beautiful and <laughs> i read it probably every two or three years and it still gets a little tear in my eye it's just brilliantly written and it came along at, at the right time to accompany the music and it sort of made the music more for me almost so what age would you have been in relation to Kurt Cobain when he died I would only have been six so there was no chance of me ever seeing him but you know I've I've got the reading was it 91 the dvd of that live show where he comes on in the in the wheelchair and then launches into the first song so I still listen to them all the time so yeah, that and I've, that book's one of the only ones that I brought over from Northern Ireland when I moved here. So it's kind of like a battered copy from 20-odd years ago now. Because I always think as well in terms of you know, non-fiction books, biographies, and, and particularly if, you, if you're if you reading a, a biography of somebody who you admire, you, you really like their work or whatever, there's always that danger of it just never lives up to expectations. So it's good that if you read something where that kind of fulfills it. Yeah, I think I agree because I recently read a book uh, called Daisy Jones and the Six that was based, I think, roughly on Fleetwood Mac. And then I went to have a look at Mick Fleetwood's autobiography. And I think they said he didn't come off very nicely and a lot of the stories were embellished. Whereas this sort of being, you know, Kurt didn't write it. It was this other guy that had a, a completely impartial view. So it came across like he wasn't a very nice guy at times. Whereas, and that sort of made it feel much more real. Um, and you can hear that in the music. <laughs> it's interesting as well. I again, it's not a, it's not a book I read. Although a friend of mine's actually, I think he's interviewed in it. He used to he, he runs a a music publicity PR company down in in London, and they represented Nirvana in in the UK. So I think he was sure he's in this book. But it was interesting when they were reading about the book that he didn't interview Dave Grohl. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. I think he interviewed Chris, and Dave didn't. I've read that Dave like can't listen to the music or anything, so he probably right. didn't want to get too involved. So yeah, there's not that side of it. But they do talk to like all the other ex members and stuff and so it gives that really balanced view of good and bad. You you mentioned obviously music plays a big part in, in your life. But the kind of bands you've mentioned at the age yeah, that's quite uh, that's decent music taste for just a, for just a wee guy if you're liking stereophonics <laughs> at the age of nine. Yeah, I yeah. I sort of um I remember my mum having um was it smoky who who the is alice in the car when i was on my way to like primary school when i was six or so so she was pretty cool with what i listened to and then um yeah from nirvana i kind of got into metallica about 15 and then i became a bit of a metalhead and played in bands and stuff so 
yeah, music's always been a big part of it. You know, you mentioned that was maybe the first non-fiction book that you read. Is it something you read a lot of, of non-fiction or biographies, or do it have to be a specific subject, a specific person to kind of entice you? Not really, no. I'll, I'm sort of at an age where I realised I don't know an awful lot about a lot of things. So recently I've been trying to educate myself a bit. So I've got, and especially when I write, I find it sometimes difficult to read fiction in case it sort of rubs into my writing. So I tend to read some non-fiction then. But I like finding out about people that I respect. Like, I love football as well. Um, and I'm a Liverpool fan, so I've read Gerrards and, and things like that. So, um, nah, I'm up for kind of anything. I've got, um, like, the history of Rome and, and stuff like that. Just so that if I'm in a pub quiz, I've sort of got a broad range of <laughs> knowledge. <laughs> Just the, the fact, you know, we spoke already about the fact you've uh, brought out your first crime book. And, and obviously, I'm guessing that crime fiction as a as a genre interests you but just what you said there is there a you know is there a worry sometimes if you you're maybe just reading crime fiction and either you've got an idea and you su- suddenly you read it somewhere else and you go ah i've got to think of something else or is it just is it good to kind of immerse yourself in that kind of world because it helps your own writing i think it does yeah like at school i say if you want to be a good writer you have to read a lot so i mean my book was the first thing that i ever had a go at writing so i sort of only had the knowledge that I had from crime novels. So I think it helps with like dialogue and pace and stuff. Because I know what not to do if I don't enjoy a book or if I haven't finished one. I'll sort of think, well, I don't want to spend five pages describing something if that's not what I've enjoyed. So I think, yeah, it's sort of my go-to genre. And I am okay with it. My worry is that I'll, if something happens in a scene, it'll, I'll think, hmm, I could maybe think along the same lines or something and I don't want to do that. So that's why I tend to stick to non-fiction when I'm writing. And I suppose if you have your character, that's unique to you and unique to your book. So what she does is dictated by you as as a writer and her as a character. So that makes it individual to you. Yeah, I think so. I think also there's a lot of, um, there's like a lot of female characters now. There's like as as detectives. And I think that's a really cool thing. And my worry is that, and I've sort of got this really good idea of what she's like anyway. So I'm pretty sure it wouldn't happen, but. I would think just, you know, I've got this idea and I don't want to think, I don't want to sort of go off the path that I know that I'm on, uh, just in case it takes me somewhere that I sort of, I don't know where I'm going with it. Yeah, and I think people listening as well will be impressed, given the fact that you said this is the first thing that you've, you know, you've written to completion and and the kind of publication success of it. So I think there'll be a lot of people that will, hopefully will will then after this podcast go and check out A Wash of Black. Yeah, I hope they do. Yeah, it would be cool if they did. Yeah, just, you know, I've always, because I've got two young children as well, and and I work full-time, so I was sort of doing it at night, and it took what felt like forever, but I've been told it's not too long, actually. So, yeah, I think, uh, hopefully, if people hear this, they like what they hear, and they go out and check it out. Yeah, and I I always say to any any other writers who've been on the podcast, the the dream is that in a future episode, somebody comes on and recommends your book. Yeah, well, it's funny. We've my publisher and and another author, Rob Parker, have started a podcast where we talk to different authors about stuff. And Olivia Kiernan, who I mentioned earlier, was on the show last week, so she was the reason that I wrote my book. So to have her sort of chatting, and I just, it, it was probably the first time I was starstruck with who we had on. <laughs> You 
are listening to the Read All About It podcast with me, Paul Cuddy, and the writer Chris McDonald. And Chris, we're on to the third book choice. That's a book that you would recommend to anyone. Now, when you sent me your list and you mentioned the book that you originally chose as your recommendation, which was Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins Reid, but you have since changed it and the book you've now gone for is The, the Puppet Show by M.W. Craven. Yeah, I'm horribly indecisive and anything I read at the minute I tend to wax lyrical about. Um, So I went back and forth on this one. <laughs> the reason I originally said Daisy Jones and the Six was because it's sort of mixed music with fiction and it's about this fictional band and it's written by like interviews with each band, you know, a musician. And it was really brilliantly written and I loved it. But the puppet show, I think I sort of thought, is it just because I've just read it recently? So I thought of one that I've loved and I've recommended to many people. And I'm sure loads of people have read it already because he's a megastar now. But um, the Poe and Tilly series that he's created, I think, is just changed how crime fiction's written at the minute. And the curator, I think, is coming out in a few weeks' time, which is the third in the series. I think just his characters are brilliant and um, it's just a really clever crime fiction book. So I thought, big up, M.W. Craven. Again, when I was just doing some research, I think it was the, the best crime novel of 2019. The, it got the Gold Dagger Award. Yeah, and we talk, he was on our podcast on Sunday and he told us some funny stories about a dreadful acceptance speech that he did and just hearing his thought process and how he goes about writing and, and stuff. He said he wrote the first draft of um, The Puppet Show in 25 Days, which is just mind-blowing when he's creating a whole new character and, and stuff. So yeah, I think that book is just... It was the start of a great series that's just getting better and better. So it's a good place to start. Because one of the things, and again, we we touched on it earlier on, what's always struck me about crime fiction is that, because there's only so many crimes that can can happen, the key to a good crime novel and a good crime series is the characters. You know, if you get a good character, then that's you. People are with you every way because, you know, for example, your book, people that have enjoyed it, they're already wanting to know they want to read more about your main character. They want to know what happens to her next, what she does, what she's involved in. And that is absolutely central to the success of any crime book. Yeah, I think when... I didn't want to fall into the trap of her having, like, a drinking problem or... there's all, And, I mean, they have to have a sort of personal life because I think that's what makes them humid and relatable. And I sort of was thinking, what, you know, like, what could mine be? Because I didn't want to make it too um, stereotypical. So, I mean, she got attacked on the job a year before what happens in my book and it's her first case and and day back so it's her sort of going through the what happens if i'm not the same person i was or will i fear certain situations so i thought that was a bit different to anything that i'd read in the recent past so i thought that might be the way to go i mean i like reading about the people's personal life like sort of everyone lounges about on the sofa no matter how busy you are so i thought that it's important to have those little short scenes where that happens so that people can relate as i say i think the the most successful crime series whenever you talk to anyone about it is they they never really talk about the crimes in fact they never it's that character that they love the character and, and yeah. as you say it has to be it can't just always be about the crime because otherwise they're not fully rounded yeah, and I think if you're just reading this happened, then this happened, then this happened with her constantly going to crime scenes or interviewing people, it would quickly get very repetitive. Whereas if you've got a bit of a break where it's something that we all do, like cooking tea and just thinking about something unrelated, then it gives that little bit of reality, which I think people people like. And in terms of, because of the type of book it is and the type of character, I'm guessing, did you have to do quite a lot of research in terms of the fact she has a, a police officer and... I mean, you've, you've got to get some of those details right. Yeah, and um, I'm so squeamish. Like I mentioned at the start, what I went by was so having a Google like slit throat and then 
<laughs> look at what came up was not pretty. I think if you read enough crime, you sort of get that um, people don't want... I mean, there has to be a level of reality, and I really made sure that it was uh, with like some of the forensic terminology and stuff like that. But um, my publisher said, you're not writing a, a documentary about it. You know, if you miss certain things out, people aren't going to know. They don't want to wait 17 days for a fingerprint to come back because you've got to fill that time. So there's sort of... I tried to make it as realistic as I could without it going into like the minutiae of details, you know. But people have been very... I mean, one of the people that I got to read it was a, a forensic student, and she was impressed with the level of detail. <laughs> and there was some of the terms she hadn't heard and stuff. So, you know, I did enough that I didn't sicken myself with it. Yeah, and that's encouraging if somebody who that's their field can read it and it's plausible in, for them as well. Yeah, yeah, and that felt, I guess, because obviously I was writing in the dark. I didn't know if it was good. I didn't know if I was getting stuff right completely. So to have sort of those people that read it before I sent it off was really, really useful. Yeah, and you mentioned already, obviously, you know that you know that character more than anyone else. Is there a part of you that thinks this would be a great TV series? And if so, who who do you want to play your, your main character? I've been asked this and I've I've set lofty heights. I sort of in the book didn't really describe her on purpose because I want to I, I kinda like it and I even if people in books that I've read describe them in so much detail, I form a picture in my head that's completely different. So I purposely didn't. I said she had dark hair and she had an overbite, I think are the only two things that I remember. And I've sort of set my stall light and said in various things that I'd like Emily Blunt to play her. So we're talking maybe big screen instead of TV, unless the money can lure <laughs> her in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> never going to happen. So I need a plan B, really. So any suggestions? <laughs> well, once I've, once I've read the book, I shall, uh, I'll get in touch with you with my suggestions. Perfect. Yeah, you can be my casting director. <laughs> we always take a a turn here when it goes from a book that you would recommend to anyone and the next question is that a book that you couldn't be paid to read again yeah i <laughs> i tend to try and be kind to books that i haven't liked and i sort of don't mention them but i don't think i'm offending anyone here unless we've got jane austen officially arrows but um i think if you're having if you're being made to read something and you're not enjoying it then it feels doubly as bad and i was made to read sense and sensibility at uni and i couldn't do it and I had a lecture about it where I was going to have to discuss it. So I thought I can't go in completely blind. So I tried and I you, your question was, what well, couldn't you read again? I didn't read it in the first place. So it's kind of cheating here. <laughs> I tried to watch the film the night before the lecture. I couldn't stay awake. So my my one sort of real memory of uni is standing topless at my window at about midnight, trying to keep awake whilst I watch Sense and Sensibility. So it's not a great that... memory and it's not a great image, <laughs> um, but uh, it left a sour taste. So that's my book that I wouldn't go near again. Listen, you do realise you've just imparted that image to everybody who's listening to this podcast. So. No, it's not pretty, so I'm sorry about that. <laughs> Interesting that you, you chose a book that you studied at university, because I, I, I did a podcast recently with uh, another guest. In the same category, he chose, uh, I think it was Wade Sar Sargasso Sea by Gene Reese. For the exact same reason that he found, he'd, he'd studied at university and he found it so difficult in that environment. It wasn't a book that he would have chosen or he wanted to read. And so, kind of similar to you, he just he found it really tough, a really tough slog. I remember our reading list being sent to me just before I started. And the three things I remember from it were Sense and Sensibility, Bridget Jones' Diary, and I had to watch Kindergarten Cop. So I thought, what <laughs> have I let myself in for? <laughs> what was it you were studying? 
Um, I did primary teaching, but I did an English degree at the same time. So, I mean, Kindergarten Cop, I don't even remember why we had to watch it. It's a great film. It was the best of the three, really. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't remember the, the correlation. But, yeah, it wasn't great. Because I suppose that thing... He didn't reveal whether or not he was standing by his window topless at midnight <laughs> watching a film adaptation, but what I thought it was interesting that it changes the kind of way you look at books when you're having to study them, because normally you would pick up a book and you want to read it, and it's a, it's a choice, and you, you enjoy it or you don't enjoy it, depending on, on that, but it takes that choice away to an extent if you've been told you have to read it for a specific purpose. Yeah, and it feels I sort of feel like maybe 18 is too young to be told, like, you have to read this classic, and I'm pretty sure... If I read it under different circumstances, I might like it. But um, yeah, being told at 18 when you don't really... I mean, trying to find space to read books at 18 is hard enough, but being told you have to read what I consider dry at the time, and I might be wrong, and I'm sorry to anyone I'm offending here. But um, yeah, if I looked at it with, with more mature eyes, perhaps I might like it. But I don't yeah. plan on. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, that's honest. The other thing as well is that that's a, this is a question where quite a lot of people particularly writers are reluctant to answer for the same reason that you kind of said at the start that you don't really you don't want to criticize another writer's work because it's a subjective thing and but one of the guests one of the early podcasts did say before he came on he was must have been talking about it and his wife said just choose as long as you choose an author that's dead you're okay yeah and then you're only offending the fans and everyone's got an opinion so you're grand exactly exactly um, well we're on to the fifth and final question and that is either the last book that you read or a book that you are currently reading i'm currently reading a book called tall oaks by chris whittaker he has recently released a book called we begin at the end that's the first time i'd heard of him and it was amazing it completely blew my mind how i mean we talked about characters before those characters leapt off the page and you by the end of it, you felt like you really knew them. So I think that was his third book. And Tall Oaks won the the debut dagger in 2008, I think. Uh, sorry, 2018. So I thought I'd go back. And it's just completely different. He's a real talent, and I think he's going to be massive. So, um, yeah, it was quite interesting to go back and read read his debut and see see where he's gone. And in terms of your, your kind of reading habits, obviously we touched on maybe some of the kind of subject matter, but do you always have... Is there always a pile of books that you're working your way through, or is it just one of those, you know, see what the mood takes you or what somebody recommends to you as to what you read? Yeah, sort of with, with doing our podcast, I've tried to read who's coming on next book, if I haven't already, or, or two or three of them. But they're, they're authors that I would have chosen to read anyway, so it's a bonus that I get to sort of read them and then have a chat with them. But my Kindle's full of stuff, and I've got like a shelf upstairs where I, I can't get near, and it keeps getting added to so yeah, I've got enough books to do me quite a while. With the podcast, I try to read a few ahead and then I've got some time to read something that I, I'd bought ages ago and hadn't quite got to. So there's no real plan to it. I kind of see what's there and what I fancy at the time and then go with that. And what was the motivation for starting the podcast then? My publisher asked because I think there's a bit of lockdown therapy, to be fair. We're on like our ninth episode and it started, I think, the week before lockdown or something. But I think his PR company that, that sort of helped with him asked him to do it as a way to sort of get publicity for different people so yeah we started that and it's just we do it on a sunday night and it's a bit of, a bit of fun with like authors that are starting to really like ramp up how famous they are i, mean, I think we've got Anne cleaves in august and callie taylor's coming on in a few weeks so we've got like pretty big names where i'm gonna i think feel pretty out of my depth because the thing is what i've found with this podcast is it's just enjoyable to sit and talk to people about books for an hour and 
you know, yeah. I, a few people have been on it. I started off and it was like friends and it was almost like just replicating the conversations we would have if we're having a cup of coffee. But it's just like you and I, we've only connected via Twitter. But yeah, you can sit and chat about books. And yeah. I, I, that's what I love about, about these things. Yeah, it's a very cool thing. And I, like, thank you so much for having me on. Like you say, we've only spoken via Twitter and then like like half an hour here and it, it's comfortable, isn't it? And I suppose, again, as, as a writer, but then as a, a fan of some of these authors and their books, it's, as you mentioned earlier on, you were kind of almost like starstruck when it's like, you know, you interview the author who's kind of responsible for putting you out on your, your own path to hopefully success. And that that's great for you as well. Yeah, it's very cool. It's sort of, like I said at the start, I feel I still feel like a massive imposter and having, having these people say like, I enjoyed your book and I'm looking forward to the next one kind of thing. Like Mike Craven, like I mentioned earlier, and I'm going to sound like a complete fanboy, but he was, he said on Sunday before he signed off, I'm looking forward to reading your next one. Like he's someone I massively look up to and, and he's huge. So to have him say that sort of gives you confidence almost. Cause I suppose once you, once your book goes out into the world and you know, you're at the mercy of the public then who will just, just judge the book solely with the book. But was there a pressure when you would you finish the book? Maybe you're, you're letting your wife read it, or you know, chosen readers to get that kind of initial feedback. Yeah, I sort of connected with a few people on Twitter. One of whom is is this, uh, a woman called Sarah, who I've never met, but she's read she she read the first one chapter by chapter. And if she hadn't done that, I wouldn't have kept going. But her feedback and her encouragement and enthusiasm really did keep me going. And then I thought it was safe from my wife because she doesn't like crime books and she read it and she really liked it and that sort of and i thought if i'm sort of appealing to a general reader then that's a good thing but yeah i think handing it over to my wife was the most nervous i'd been more nervous than handing it into like publishers and stuff because i thought they're faceless people that you know like if they don't like it it's nothing but if my wife reads this and think like are you a psycho then it's <laughs> you know it's big <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that could cause, that's a, that's a whole wider problem for you. Yeah, you know? and luckily we were sort of driving in the car to places and I didn't think she'd read it. So I was sort of saying like, hmm, like, can you just write this in the notes on my phone while I'm driving? Just that, um, you know, a guy gets his head caved in in the back of an alley. She's like, what are you, like, why? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you mentioned as well, you're, you're a full-time primary school teacher. You've got a young family as well. So that obviously brings challenges in terms of your writing but have you managed to get that balance of when to write is it just a case of whenever you get a chance it's just snatching those moments of time yeah it's sort of i was doing it under no pressure the first one because i thought if if it takes me 10 years if i sack it off because i can't be bothered then it's you know it's nothing and then when the first one got accepted and we started talking about the second one (laughs) it was at my book lunch actually and and uh the guy that was doing it, Rob Parker, who's become a really good friend, and he's he's one of the other authors on on the Blood Brothers podcast. He said, "When does your next one have to be in?" So I sort of looked over at my publisher and I said, "Like, no, oh, we haven't discussed that, but I think I've got a few months." He's like, "Do you?" So uh, <laughs> so that sort of became a bit. Oh, maybe I do have to write a bit faster. But he's really cool with it. He's like laid back as they go. So um, yeah, we've sort of said September for the third manuscript. So um, even then, I don't know if he's joking or not. So. I'm pretty laid back with it, and if I if I feel like writing that day, I'll do it. But if it's been a tiring day, I won't bother. I don't think you can rush it either. I think if you're forcing it out of you, and you'll end up resenting it. So I kind of just do it when I when I feel like it. What stage is the second book then? Second book, it just takes me today actually to say that um, he's happy with it. So that's being there should be proofs ready next week for a November release, fourteenth uh, of November I think. So it's already up for like pre-order and Amazon and stuff. And then I'm 10,000 words into the third. 
That's exciting. That's a good time as well. That's just the perfect Christmas present for everybody, you know. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, and the, I mean, like, and I, I keep saying I can't believe how lucky I am, but you know, someone from Rhode Island and someone from New Zealand the other day put pictures on Twitter of them, you know, having received my book, and I just think, and then they're saying, oh, I've just pre-ordered the second one, and I always felt like it would only be friends that that pick it up, you know, <laughs> sort of pity party, but um, to have people that I don't know be like you know we've already ordered one that isn't out for another six months is just mind-blowing and it kind of goes back to what i was saying right at the very start with that the kind of positive response you've you've got from the first book it, it just obviously that that's an incentive in itself for you just to keep going because you, you you've obviously hit on something that, that people like yeah and i i mean i signed a a two book deal at the start and i, I sort of had a, a map of where she was going sort of Erica's journey not so much the crime of what was going to happen you know in the, the sort of big thing but I knew where I wanted to take her and then I've recently signed a three and four book deal so um so yeah I think you know it's all down to the reader because if people didn't buy it it wouldn't have happened so yeah it means a lot that people have you know spent time and money on it so yeah massively great that's going to keep you busy for a while then yeah yeah and it's good because sort of during lockdown I get these chunks of time where I can just go and, and sit and knock out a chapter or I think it was John Connolly or Michael Connolly said if you move the action on even if it's by a paragraph a day that's progress and that's always kind of what I took like if because my time is sort of limited at, at times so I think if I can get a bit done you know I've moved it on a bit and that's always kind of the the mantra that I've subscribed to. Brilliant well I, I always say to all my guests, by the end of it, I've always got recommendations of, of books to read. But I think the first one of your recommendations is uh, A Wash of Black. So <laughs> Cheers, man. But listen, that's, uh, that's us come to the end, sadly, of the podcast, Chris. Um, if anybody wants to hear about Chris's or read about Chris's book choices, if you go onto my website, com, every guest will have their own individual page where I've just listed all the book choices. But, you know, we, we mentioned already, Chris, you and I have just kind of connected via Twitter, which I think is the one of the positive things of, of social media. And it's, it's been great to, chatting to you about books. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And I mean, if people want to come and find me on Twitter and, and chat, I'm, I'm all up for that. And uh, yeah, I just thank you so much for having me. It's been It's been a cool way to spend the night. Yeah, and best of luck with A Wash of Black and uh, the subsequent books in, in this soon-to-be very, very successful series, no doubt. Thank you very much, yeah. I think uh, the second one's going to be called Whispers in the Dark. So, yeah, I think November time. So, yeah, be cool if you could check it out. Brilliant, we'll look forward to that. Cheers, man. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Read All About It podcast, and I'd love to hear what you thought about it. You can get in touch via Twitter at ReadAllAbout20, on Instagram at ReadAllAboutItPodcast, or you can send an email to readallaboutit at paulcuddehy.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, subscribe, leave a review and spread the word. If you haven't enjoyed it, say nothing to anybody. But I do hope you can join me, Paul Cuddehy, next time on the Read All About It podcast. And in the meantime, keep reading. Keep reading.